Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. And if you want to expand your business to Europe and beyond, then today's show is for you because we have the experts when it comes to expanding internationally on the show. And that is Yana. Yana, welcome to the show today. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I was going to try and pronounce your last name, but I don't want to butcher it. So you tell us. How do you, how do you say oh. your name? So my last name is Krekic, but um, just I, I don't use it. I just go by Yana, like, you know, yeah. like... Beyonce or Cher. <laughs> nice, nice, so, yeah. nice. See, I would never have said your last name with as much, uh, you know, I culture, know. <laughs> culture as that. So, uh, thank you for for helping us out there. But great to have you on the show today. Uh, really excited to talk about the topic of expanding internationally. Um, to give our listeners a bit of an idea of who you are and why you are so qualified to talk on this subject, give us a bit of background about uh, what you've been up to the last few years. Sure. So. Um... Five years ago, I founded my company called Wildy Translations. And what we do is we provide um, translations that are SEO optimized for Amazon. Mm -hmm. So we basically translate your listings into sales on other marketplaces, which means we don't do just like one-on-one -on -one translations, but it means we do localization, keyword research. We embed those um, highly relevant keywords so that your products are visible more than your competitors are, have than visibility. Um, and uh, basically, we cover all content uh, that is, um, it can be anything else. It can be like anything from instructions to manuals, follow-up emails, mm -hmm. and so on. And we are a fully remote team. We have about 85 people now. Sheesh. And uh, we love helping brands uh, expand international marketplaces. We've worked with, you know, small brands to like very, very big enterprises. Yeah. Um, like, for instance, to, to name just a few, like Crocs and National Geographic's. Uh, Nestle, so we just work with a lot of them. So everything, you know, I, I basically you know talk about and what I know is based off of like what we've learned, learned working with our clients, um, data numbers, all of that has been really um, great uh, source for us to understand how everything works and to implement that in other categories of products. And so far, I think we've worked approximately about three thousand brands now. I think amazing. How have you found that growth? to a team of 85 people that's a lot of people to manage how have you found that is it been a stretch or has it been easy so it's been very hard i'm um, mm. not gonna lie um so it took me a while to actually start building my team at all at first there was only me and i think maybe two three more translators just like freelancers basically mm -hmm. and then um i kind of wanted to like have control of everything i needed to double check everything. Like I had to have my hands on, on absolutely every single thing going on. Um, and then um, that basically took away two years of my life, just basically <laughs> working 24 seven. And then the yeah. first time I wanted to go on vacation, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to sort this out. Like I can't just like work forever like this with no days off. And then that was the first time I decided to delegate something. So it took me two years to do that. Um, after I got back from my vacation, I thought that, you know, everything would, worked for for last year's was ruined but everything was still there and there were no um bigger problems no bigger issues and things would just like continue as they were so i was really surprised and really kind of relieved um and then at that point i just started um, delegating more and more and more and more yeah. and literally the next two years um the company grew from i would say seven eight employees to um about 60 and then um in the last year and a half we got like 20 more um but the growth was like very very significant after i figured out that 
I need to delegate in order to grow. And then mm. I need to start working on the business and not in the business yeah. as I've worked um, so far. And that has been um, my journey. And, you know, it was hard. It still is. It's very hard to, um, to manage a fully remote team. But mm. now I have a whole upper management in place with project managers, COOs, team leaders, all of that that take care of things. Which doesn't mean that I can't, I, I, I can like just set it and forget it. Like the whole business model that I have, I have to check in on them every now and then. So I make sure that we maintain that really high level that we are known for. So, yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, that's a whole other episode in itself. So I won't dive too much yeah. into that because we do have a bit of a subject today. But no, hats off to you. That sounds like a, a you know, an incredible feat a great operation you've got going there and and lots that e-commerce brand owners can take away from that too about getting out of the way you know removing yourself as the bottleneck yeah. and uh, just just trusting in other people to help you grow grow the business yeah, I agree. Um, no so yeah congratulations on that but you've you. got that growth in the business because you are very good at what you do you know we've used your services and you know been very pleased with them and um and there's lots of experience in there so i wanted to try and dig away at that experience today to help our listeners understand what the uh, international expansion um you know arena i suppose is looking like in 2023 and beyond mm -hmm. um you know you've obviously done a lot in europe i know you you work beyond that as well which would be great to hear about and and discuss but specifically just starting with europe because a lot of sellers will look to if they're just selling in the US, they'll look to expand in Europe and, and maybe UK to begin with, because that's the easiest one with the language. But then very quickly, uh, it opens up the uh, the possibility of, of Germany, of France, Spain, Italy, and, and now many more nations beyond that. But it's changed a lot, right, in recent years. And, and so I guess the first question for a lot of our listeners is, is it still worth expanding into Europe? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, what we've seen is that this year, especially Q2 and Q3 have been really what I would say that we've seen increase in demand uh, for brands to expand and go beyond their marketplaces, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to Italy. Um, okay. Italy has been like slightly under radar the last couple of years, but ever since COVID, um, also I've done a lot of reading and financial reports. And then, you know, they, they did say that um, you know, the, the consumers in that country changed their shopping habits after COVID. And then it's more and more going online and online shopping has been becoming a dominant form of shopping. And we've also seen that like in bunch of like sales and an increased like volume of listings that need to be translated to that language. So I would say that like now um, I would I would say like, yes, you should try Italy. And then last year, like year before, I would be like, mm, Italy, well, maybe only if you know you have the right product for the marketplace. But now Italy has been becoming a very, very um, interesting marketplace uh, for those who want to do like the whole uh, pan-European expansion. And we've seen more and more very big brands focusing on Amazon. Um, a lot of them that were like from brick and mortar and they're just like starting to sell on Amazon as well. So that's like also very um, interesting. And of course, like top categories are still as they were like top, um, for instance, like in Europe, like speaking about Germany, um, supplements, um, toddler, to toddler products, kids products, baby products, um, anything that's like related with beauty products, like uh, eye masks, eye patches, all of that is going really, really strong in um, 2023 as well. Um, and um, also pet products as well. 
Uh, but what really it's interesting, what's really interesting for Europe, especially for Germany, because Germany still is a dominant marketplace, uh, those are wooden toys. So wooden toys do amazingly well um, in Europe. Um, they don't do that amazingly well in, in, the, in the US. I suppose it has to do a lot about you know the, the the country's culture and the mentality and all of that and like the way how we all in Europe grew up versus Americans who still like the plastic toys and all of that and not not that big on sustainability which I kind of feel is more of like a, a European's forte um, and so yeah definitely wooden toys are quite quite interesting and I know we did like a quick quick case study with one of the clients and then um, it's really also interesting how if you go to the uh, search frequency term report in um, in uh, Amazon seller uh, in your Amazon seller account. If you type in like uh, Paw Patrol, for instance, like they will be insanely successful in the US, but not so successful, let's like, say, in the UK or anywhere around Europe or any of the other like plastic toys. But wooden toys is something that reminds you of your childhood and what your parents used to play with. That is something that it's kind of like really like a good category to be in. Yeah. Yeah, some good thoughts and, and key to do your market research before you do yeah. expand. It's, uh, you know, the temptation just to roll out the same product lines to different marketplaces, but it might not always be a great fit. So that's a good good reminder yeah. for everyone. Are you finding that most of your clients are uh, just then targeting those individual European countries or is Pan-EU still a big part of what they're doing? Yeah, I would say that majority does Pan-EU over... Yeah let's say UK or just a single marketplace. Mm -hmm. But uh, how it usually goes is that people would try out like one marketplace and then if things work out, then they add mm -hmm. like all, all the, the rest seven countries. But we've seen a lot of people that they just do all seven, including like Sweden and Poland. We've seen also increase in Sweden and Poland as well. But unfortunately, we still haven't seen a lot of sales happening on those marketplaces. So I think people are hungry for like, let's get new results. Let's mm. get to have our competitors. Let's do new marketplaces. But honestly, Amazon has to also like step up and like keep the promise on like, we, we want you here and then we mm. can offer you success, which I still see that they are falling short for. Um, I think they're probably going to focus more on it like next year because what happened with like Amazon um, in the Netherlands is that they started pushing people and selling on a new marketplace, which was, um, I mean, for a long time, there were only like Germany, France, Spain, Italy and UK. And then the newest marketplace was the Netherlands two years ago. And then but but uh, Amazon did not do anything in the first year of like the the start of the marketplace, like they didn't roll out uh, PPC features for the marketplace at all. And we had so many clients that were just like so hungry to get on that marketplace and then nothing, like not a single sale. But then like last year, like things started like, you know, like um, sales started coming in and then Amazon was like, okay, full focus on Amazon Netherlands now. And they surpassed both which was a local marketplace that was a dominant marketplace in that country. So I'm sure that as soon as Amazon sets their mind to Sweden and Poland, which are much bigger marketplace than a Dutch marketplace was in, I mean, Poland has 12,000 online stores and Allegro, which is a top um, uh, worldwide marketplace. Uh, I'm sure I, I, I would definitely focus on these uh, to marketplaces, Poland especially, and I wouldn't be surprised if Poland becomes like one of the top four uh, Amazon marketplaces in Europe. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great insight and helpful because if you can get that early 
traction. It's not quite the same as when reviews used to be independent in each marketplace. But yeah. still, if you can get that organic positioning early on in a marketplace, that can obviously um, be, be a real positive. So you don't think that the, all of the issues with Brexit, I know it's a while ago, but it, it hasn't put people off expanding to Europe. It hasn't caught, obviously it's mainly between the UK and Europe, not so much all of yeah. the other nations, but there's that kind of, all those issues are gone now and it's more free to expand into Europe. I think like at first after Brexit, people were in big panic for sure. Mm. And yeah. a lot of them decided not to go to UK, even they would, because like a US brand, of course they would go, go to Europe and UK, and then they will only expand to European Union countries and not the UK. Mm. Um, also because of problems like the import, export, like shipping, all of that. Yeah. But th that has been resolved now and people have found a lot of solutions. Like for instance, uh, a couple of months ago, what they did is like they would ship their products like from the UK via Netherlands, and then this is how they would enter Germany in about two, three weeks. Um, there's like a thing how you can do it. Uh, versus if you wanted to ship them from UK to Germany, it would take you like two months. Mm, yeah, so yeah. I think people and like, I mean, brands and, and, and sellers, they, they did find some shortcuts. So now I wouldn't say that people are like, yeah, we're, we kind of, we're thinking of not doing a product launch in, in the UK, because I think now that there are a lot of new solutions found, and I'm sure there are a lot of other service providers that are offering these solutions now. But for the first couple of months, it was really tough for a lot of sellers, especially UK brands. Yeah. They were just like in panic mode about like what to do next. And especially because if they had like trapped products in the warehouse abroad, they couldn't get more stock. But I think now it's, it's um, I think it's sort of like solved. Safe. Yeah. Yeah. And Amazon seemed to be trying to find solutions as well. Like they reopened yeah. the EFN and all that kind of thing. So they're, they're keen to keep the, the flow going. Um, you mentioned about the um, you know European marketplaces and and the growth there um, and sellers translating their listings in order to be able to grow over there. Obviously, that is your sweet yeah. spot. Um, you mentioned about the SEO side of things and it being one of the keys to success. To the sellers that would say, "Well, I'm just going to Google Translate my English listing," what are the flaws with that? Why should a seller not do that when they expand to Europe? Yeah, well, there are a lot of really good examples and um, you should not translate. I mean, it's okay to use Google Translate to understand how your vacuum cleaner works uh, because I know it's cheap, it's free, and Amazon also offers that as a solution. Their machine translation is basically Google Translate. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times it will cause you much more harm than good. And then I would just also like to, you know, point out that, you know, whatever is free and like ordered by like offered by Amazon, it's not necessarily going to be great. Uh, so um, I would definitely keep, uh, I would just, you know, tell people to stay away from Google Translate because yeah. uh, there was like also like one listing that we did. We do a lot of audits. So a lot of people actually use Google Translate and then they see that they have had drop in sales, even though PPC campaigns, all of that is great images, just, you know, everything is well put together apart from content. And you'll be surprised to see how many competitors actually have no idea what they're doing on a content level. And it is very easy to beat them on the content level because they don't care about the content in another language they don't understand. So like I've done a lot of analysis and I have a lot of LinkedIn videos on this topic um, where um, I think I even analyzed wet brush in um, on German marketplace, which is a top selling product. 
uh, and uh, it's the competition is very fierce. But on a content level, you could be number five uh, when it comes to content level out of top 15 competitors. So, I mean, if this is like the toughest niche, like a toughest product, just imagine like all other products and, and niches, like how well you can do on a content level. Um, so basically like the Google Translate will a lot of times create a confusing confusing content it will not resonate with the audience they will be confused um like as i said like we have like one of the clients and they did um a bikini uh it was uh in italian the google translate translated as um a bikini for donna grosso so this was a plus size bikini model for, for women that are plus size but google translate translated to donna grosso which means fat women so that was very offensive and reviews were just terrible. They had to pull down the listing and then relaunch again. And they were just like, uh, we also like did this, uh, the, this um, uh, diary and it like a bullet dial with bullets, like with those like yeah. dots at the beginning of every uh, page. But in Spanish, like the Spanish content, it says that diary um, contained actual bullets, like gun bullets. Like this, this, like when you open it, there's like gun bullets inside. So, and there's just like so many examples like that, that my team goes like, I can't believe that they were actually selling this product and like getting money for it. So I was just like, I mean, there's just like so many problems like that. And especially like if you just decide to translate keywords, a lot of times people will be just like, here's a list of our US keywords, please translate them. And then we go like, well, I mean, why would we translate those? Because they might not necessarily result in being keywords on another marketplace because yeah. people do not search for same things. And even if you compare US English and UK English, we also had a client selling a uh, baby diaper bag. And then uh, first of all, she was she just copy pasted it to UK marketplace. And then she was r- ranked for a completely wrong term because diapers in the US, they refer to kids diapers. But in the UK, you use this to um, buy adult diapers. So mm. the word that she should have used in her um, products should be nappies because mm. those are like kids' uh, products. Yeah. And also like just a bunch of keywords that she had in her listing contained words such as um, a baby changing station, uh, baby shower gifts, and lots of Spanish keywords. So and then after we've done the UK keyword list, there were no baby changing stations because there are none in the UK or just few. So people don't will not search for those um, terms. And the baby shower gifts was like not in top hundred keyword search on the UK marketplace. In Spanish, of course, is nowhere to be found because mm-hmm. there's not the, that big of a Hispanic population in the UK. So mm-hmm. even when compared to like English, which a lot of people will be like, well, it's the same language. Well, it's not because you need to localize it. Even English will have different search terms and just, you know, just think of like how different will it be if you just translate it word by word from UK or like US English. I always like to give an example of a US English because their style is very different. It's very yeah. salesy and fluffy. And so you mm-hmm. can just translate that as it is to Germans because Germans will be like, we don't like this. It doesn't, it's not the, the, the vibe. It's not the, it doesn't go well with the mentality and like it doesn't point out on the features. So they, they would not uh, choose your product. And if you're in a tough, um, tough niche, people would go to different product that will resonate better with them. Because what I think it's important, especially when you sell abroad is that the, um, the consumers want to uh, buy something from a brand that feels like a, 
local brand, yeah. not like an overseas brand. So if your yeah. brand does not have this feel and doesn't have the storytelling that is localized for this new country, then it's not going to do very well, even though yeah. it's a product, um, it's a competitive product. Yeah, I, I always try and bring the comparison for our community that when you see a listing on the US marketplace that's clearly written by a Chinese seller and uh, the broken yeah. English, it makes no sense. That's kind of like what you sound like when you try and do that in Germany or Italy or Spain, you know, and people can see through that straight away. And so obviously localized keyword research and SEO practices are, are essential, as you've rightly said. What about then uh, PPC? Uh, if someone wants to run PPC campaigns in Europe, can they just do the same with their English keywords? Do they see much success with that? Or uh, is it a case of needing to do that localized research again? Um, yeah, I would say that you need to uh, do a, a keyword research for the UK marketplace as well. Um, I think it's a bit easier for PPC because you can also use like broad keywords that mm -hmm. might be yeah. very similar to, let's say, the ones in the US or, you know, uh, but the exact ones, I would test this out and see like um, if there are differences that you, you see that could apply, like yeah. for instance, with the diapers versus nappies. So PPC was completely wrong because they only use diapers and they haven't seen nappies at all. And also what I, I kind of really want to give this tip is, that is that, you know, um, I know a lot of brands will speak other languages, but then if, if you if you're in your results, see something that sounds like, I don't know, like this weird word and you think like maybe this is misspelling. Uh, maybe this is just like some like mambo jumbo. I don't understand. And it has really big search volume. It's probably going to be something in another language. And I would definitely include that in backends and maybe even test it out in your PPC campaigns, depending on how big of search volume this, key, this keyword has. We've yeah. done this a lot and um, almost none of the competitors were ranked for the, the keyword, like some of the Turkish keywords in Germany or Polish keywords in Germany as well. Um, because of the population, they might have sometimes very big search volume and then you would be the only one who's ranked for the keyword. So just always put it in backends, don't use it in front end listing because it's going to sound very weird, but in backends, definitely um, go for it. Yeah. What about images? Are you doing much translation of images, infographics? We, we do now. Now we do always uh, main image translations. Earlier, not a lot of people would do it. But um, I mean, this is it's always been a rule that you can, uh, should translate it because um, sellers, uh, sorry, consumers will understand the product better. Uh, but now can I, everyone started doing it. I think it's... Um, it started ever since Amazon said that packaging has to be translated to mm -hmm. the languages of the country you're sending the products to. So I'm just going to think like the main name is just going to follow with that, even though it's not um, mandatory. But when when consumers like go to the page and the, the, when they check out the product, the most important thing for this product are main images and keywords. So this is going to be the first thing they see are these main images. And then if you're selling, let's say, beauty products or supplements, and then I'm scrolling through like first two, three images. And if I don't understand how I use them or like what they do, uh, because they're in English and maybe these are some very sensitive product. It's like that goes into your body or like you're, you use it with your baby. Um, you kind of want to know what you're buying. And then if this is written in English, you can't rely on that. Like every single person is proficient enough to be 100% sure what they're buying. Um, you know, a lot of people would not even go to, uh, to read the full listing, but images, absolutely. And we've also had like this really good case study, how after that, the 
main images were changed, like from English to to, to German, they had like an increase of forty percent uh, in conversion and sixty percent in profit, and they just tested that wow. one variable. Yeah. So that was really good, um, and that showed a lot about like how people were deciding more just because they had translated main images. Uh, those were like some baby uh, baby jackets. Uh, yeah. So that was really interesting. And, and that, that will definitely help drive more sales or just kind of like make people stick to your like listing, maybe just kind of read the whole content, mm-hmm. read your from the brand story and so on. So I think that is very, very um, valuable because what a lot of people forget is that maybe 40% of Europe speaks English on a high level. And then the rest of it is like, would not buy something they're not comfortable with or understand. Mm. So basically, instead of targeting every single consumer in that country, we're targeting every third, which yeah. is a lot of uh, lost potential mm. consumers yeah. for your brand. For sure. It's, it's crazy. I was watching the uh, football last night, Madrid Derby, Atletico against Real Madrid, and I was saying to my wife, it's crazy how this game's in Spain, uh, the, the bulk of the audience is in Spain, but all of the advertising is in English. because. Yeah. The English people are so stubborn and so rubbish at learning languages that we expect the whole world to speak yeah. our language, but a lot of them don't. And so that arrogance can actually cost you sales sometimes. So, yeah, great tips. Yeah, um, exactly. Beyond Europe, are you seeing any other um, marketplaces? I mean, do, do you work, do you do translations for, um, you know, maybe the Middle East or any other sort of marketplaces yeah. like that? Yeah, we do. We do, uh, we do uh, a lot of translations for Japan. Okay. And then lately, in the last three months, we've been getting a significant number uh, of uh, listings that should be translated to um, Arabic. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know why, right, like three months ago, exactly why now, mm. but uh, we haven't had that much work for um, UAE, for instance, mm. um, last year or year before. But last three months, we've, we've, I think we've done about 50, 60 listings, mm. which is a lot because people don't usually um, do that. Um, also, like for the UAE, what's interesting is that um, depending on like who you're targeting, there are a lot of expats in UAE. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they rent out like apartments. They need furnishings and decor and all of that. And then if you're like in home decor category, you don't basically need translations. You can just like you use US English. Um, just do a new keyword research just to optimize it a little bit better and uh, that's a really good category to sell in for instance like in uae um, also compared to the us one that has i don't know probably like 50 60 000 products at least um uae doesn't even have last time i checked like not even like five thousand products mm-hmm. so that's a really good category to go in and you wouldn't need uh translations but depending on who you want to target you know like if you want to tar- target the locals then you need Arabic. If not, you can leave it in English. Yeah. And Japan is still going strong because there's been lots of talk about how that's a good marketplace as well. So um, Japan Japan is fantastic. First of all, you don't have that many competitors. Everybody is afraid, afraid because of the language barrier. Uh, there are like a lot of like big problems. Keyword research is really hard, but also it is really um hard to understand the marketplace itself Mm. so i would say that japan is great if you have the right product for the marketplace if you don't know if you don't know how to do do, 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 due diligence or if you don't know like how to like even do any sort of like homework for the marketplace then don't go there and spend your resources money time and all of that because it's a marketplace that likes weird products Something that usually does not sell, sell that well in Europe and the States. 
and you cannot really have to uh, find something that is going to work. Like yeah. all of the products that we've done were a little bit different than what you would buy in Germany or in the US. And if you've been to Japan or Asia, you know, like what, you know, uh, local people over there love quite, you know, that's like quite different and unique. So if you sell a product like that, for instance, like one of the first products that we've done, and I always remember that, uh, were protectors for your um, for your elbows and uh, and your knees and also your um, uh, <laughs> down there, like what you put, like to protect, like when when they're uh, when they're playing like a like a video game mm -hmm. with like swords. I don't know what the name of it. It was like very Japanese, yeah, but yeah. they had like these like so three types of like these shields, uh, and they only came in like fluorescent colors. And this seller was like, I used to sell like you know shields for like rollerblades and stuff like that, but then they kind of like it was really interesting how they adjusted to the Japanese marketplace, produce all these crazy colors, and they were doing so well. So, you know, like sometimes like you might even want to, you know, like localize your product if you think it's going to be a very big success, which also this was. Uh, so, yeah, there were just like a bunch of like products that would never work in the U.S. and Europe and it not be like that successful. Um, yeah. But uh, as I said, due diligence is really important. It's not that hard to do it on your own. Um, also, what I think is really important, what people really never almost never do is that people um, need to ask the audience, will they buy this product? Um, we created this report, it's like a manual report that like shows the opportunity of the uh, potential opportunity that the product might have in a certain marketplace. Mm -hmm. So what we do is like, we go to the audience, we're like, would you, would you or somebody you know buy this product? And I got this idea because we had one seller, he was selling t-shirts, like Mr. and Mrs. t-shirts with like this funny smiley face on him in Germany and uh, he was doing very poorly. Like it was terrible, like almost no sales, but his pictures were amazing. Everything was great. And then he was like, what about my content? And content was amazing. But then my German team was like, but Jana, like we would never buy these products. Like why? Because they're just not German like, enough. Like, I don't know. It's like not a good product for this marketplace. And that made me think like, Wow, this is like such a valuable information. Obviously, sometimes the audience will be the one that will be the judge of like, would you buy this or not instead of all these keywords, images and all of that. So I think it's like one of the very important factors of like what you should take into consideration. Like you can go to Facebook groups like with expats and be like, hey, so would you buy this product? You can just like ask questions. I mean, there's so many ways how you can do this on your own for free. Yeah. Um, and it's just like ask for just like a little bit of time, but it will save, save you a lot of time and money, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Because obviously it costs uh, a lot of money to expand into a new marketplace, yeah. new inventory, new marketing. VATs um, so, yeah. are very expensive. Mm. You wait for them for a long time. I yeah. mean, they're just like so many things. I mean, as you know, but mm. I mean, they're just like so many things. But the worst thing is just like losing time on something you yeah. don't know if it's going to work or not. Just yeah. because you heard that, hey, Japan is a great marketplace. I'm going to do this. And I was very surprised of how many brands, both big and small, would actually do this, like follow this pattern. And I'm like, this is not a rule of thumb. This is just like people being lazy and not um, having enough resources to actually do the due diligence the right way. So yeah. I think that is super important to do that, even if it takes a bit more time. 
Yeah, for sure. It's opportunity cost as well, isn't it? Because if you invest yeah. that time and money in a new marketplace, but don't launch another product in, you know, the US, for instance. Yeah, exactly. What's the best, you know, best for your business? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. We've covered a lot of ground in terms of marketplaces and expanding uh, right now. What, what, what do you just to sort of round up and finish off? What do you see for the future? You know, the next 12, 24 months, um, whether that be internationally or just just Amazon in general, you're on the ground you know, working with a lot of sellers, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? Uh, what are some of the things that sellers should be preparing for to succeed in the next season of e-commerce? Yeah, I definitely think that there will be more marketplaces in Europe. And I think that Amazon will start pushing uh, Poland and Sweden because they mm -hmm. are already pushing so many people into going internationally. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm happy that we've seen an increase in demand for content, translations, all of that. Uh, unfortunately, only when people figure out that content it actually matters and that, that they should do something about it. Uh, but I think expanding internationally will also very, be very interesting next year as well, mm -hmm. especially because U.S. marketplace has become very competitive. And I would not say it's saturated, but I would say it's now, like more than ever, very, very hard uh, to sell there. Mm -hmm. And then in order to be a competitor or earn money elsewhere, you want to go to, let's say, Europe, mm -hmm. especially because what's against TOS in the US is not necessarily against TOS in Europe. Like we can still get away with a lot of things like caps lock, caps lock and bullets like that mm -hmm. still works. And in Europe, like you would, you know, you would get your, your listing will be taken down if you try that, like in the US. Mm -hmm. Also, just like a bunch of other things uh, that are still easier, like in Europe. And uh, I think like once you like get your VAT is registered and all the warehouses sorted out, like you can sell, sell on seven different marketplaces. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen is that the revenue you can make in Europe can be equal or even bigger than what mm -hmm. you make in the States. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely feel very positive and that the international expansion is going to be even more important next year. And also mm -hmm. because like, I don't know, like at, um, conferences like Accelerate and like Prosper Show and all of that. Now we have like so many tracks that talk about international selling. And I remember like last time, the first time I spoke at Prosper almost four years ago, there was not a single international track and I was the only speaker speaking on this topic. Wow. And now we have like a full track with like six and seven topics on this to on, on this matter. So I think that um, it's even going to become like bigger and bigger like in time. Two final things on that, uh, because there's lots of opportunity, like you say, but what is the best way to roll out, let's take a typical brand that has five to 10 SKUs, maybe doing, you know, 50 to $100,000 a month in the US. Do they just take all of their SKUs and roll them all out across all of Europe? Or I know it's not going to be a uh, sort of a cookie cutter approach for every brand. Every brand's going yeah. to be different. But generally speaking, what's the best way? Get one SKU rolled out across Europe doing really well or all SKUs in one location? What's your thoughts there? So first of all, I just think that um, international expansion is not for everyone and not mm -hmm. every brand should do it. Sure. I am totally like against just like pushing everyone should do it. No, not everyone should do it. Also, I think you should have like a like a very steady revenue before you decide to do so. Yeah. Like if you make $20,000 a month, like don't even bother because mm -hmm. like you should just like focus on your yeah. uh, marketplace here or just going to have like a different strategy. But what I would always suggest is like taking your best sellers maybe like a couple of parents and their variations and then taking those to Europe or wherever you want to go, but like doing the strongest bestsellers 
on the most dominant marketplaces. Like if I was a US brand, I would maybe I have like a total of 50 aces. I would maybe take my top eight ones and then I will go to Europe, definitely try UK, Germany, Spain, and France, maybe now add Italy. And then if that works great and then I see profit and I got my ROIs, then I would think of expanding to Netherlands, Sweden, and Poland. But I would advise against going to Sweden and Poland in your first wave, for sure. Like I would test the grounds with my best-selling product because they're usually going to also be best-selling in Europe, like if you're a UK brand or a US brand, vice versa. Uh, but I will definitely like um, limit myself to four or five marketplaces mm-hmm. and then spread out to a bit more. I would not do like one marketplace on one product because mm-hmm. maybe like this marketplace that you picked, like handpicked just because you just think it's gonna be a good idea, might not bring you so much profit as maybe France and Spain combined. So you, you wouldn't know and you'd be like, well, there's nothing for me here. So I would test out with best selling products on three, four marketplaces and then take it from there. Um, I, because that would give you a better picture of like, is this going to be something that you want to, um, you know, uh, where you want to add more products to or not? You just kind of, you know, take it elsewhere. For sure. Yeah, and, and final small question is, do you see many of your clients using, you mentioned not using Amazon's translation, but do they often lean on the Amazon services for like tax, uh, shipping, etc.? How much do you see of that? So I would say it's like 50-50. Uh, I, I know that a lot of uh, them use um, other services that are like quite known in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a third-party service providers that we're very happy with, like a bunch of our clients. I know that they're happy with them, mm-hmm. but I know like that 50% of others would still use Amazon services. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But a lot of these Amazon services, what people should know is actually they work with these um, third-party service providers mm-hmm. that actually take this, take care of this for them. Um, yeah. Some of them would even like do the white label service. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, but I think um, it's normal because you're going to want to trust Amazon. You want to be like, no, I want to like do something with Amazon because if they are saying that the shipment is here and there, I'm going to use yeah. Amazon, not some random third party service. Mm-hmm. But I would say for now, it's like 50 50 from like yeah. all of the people that we've worked with. Okay. You can name names, by the way. Who, who do you recommend? So for accounting, I would recommend Avask, mm-hmm. uh, Avask Accounting. They're also like the prime uh prime partner with amazon they do a bunch of like really really great work and like with shipping uh i would always go with frisbee uh their ex uh, first choice shipping and now avask has their shipping agency called kata as well uh we still haven't worked with them but i mean based off of like how well they do with accounting like that they, they're also like um i think they're great and then also like uh with the with the with the funding and all that like uh, i know people they always work with kitita for instance, also like this is also something that I know people were um, very happy with. So we do have a couple of partners that we always work with because we just offer translations. So I can't offer them like a full service management of their account. Mm-hmm. But we've had a couple of partners that we've been working with for the last four years. And we really can recommend them and know that they're going to do their job. Yeah. No, it's good. It's always good to get a trusted recommendation. Yeah, as well. absolutely. Like no, this is because good. I know that the clients were happy, really. Yeah. So I would I'd rather you know recommend a good service, and I mean not get anything out of it because people remember who recommended this for them. Mm, so absolutely. I'd rather walk that path. So yeah. yeah. 
And if anybody does need uh, listing translation services, the place to go is obviously to you. Obviously. And, uh, and where, nowhere else to go. And where can people find out details about your services and, and everything you offer? Yeah, so uh, definitely our website, yalt-translations.com, mm -hmm. or you can reach out uh, on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, and you know, I invite everyone you know, who love, love the topic of international expansion to, to follow me because I, I love to share videos, updates, analysis, just basically anything I can you know, get my little hands on. Um, and um, so it's, it's really good stuff, and it's good information. And then if you have any question audit basically any sort of advice i can i can i can give i'm always happy to uh, hop on a call so just let me know perfect yeah well we'll include the links to those in the description and show notes so everyone can find you yana i appreciate you taking the time out you are a uh, a wealth of knowledge on the subject <laughs> and we really appreciate your input today thank you so much for having me no problem. Well, thanks everyone for listening as well. I'm sure you got tons out of that. Uh, please do go and use Yana's services. I can personally vouch for them. We've used them and they are great and uh, I would highly, highly recommend them. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please do give it a like, a subscribe and all that good stuff. And uh, we'll see you in the uh, next episode, same time next week. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.